Good morning, guys. I'd like to read a passage of scripture over you guys uh, before we get started. It, it says, this is the Apostle Peter. He's writing to the, to the church in the midst of them facing so much persecution, so much struggle. He writes this to them. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Can we celebrate that together this morning? The promises that God has made to you uh, through your actions. Um, the, Peter writes this to this church that is just on the, on the brink of struggle. I mean, they are f- facing persecution from Rome coming at them so hard. And Peter, the leader of the church, wanted to make sure that this movement that they started, this Jesus movement, was going to stay strong. And their responsibilities that follow in their faith would continue. And so Peter says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, the church, those who suffer as I am also one who suffers to be shepherds. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Peter urges the importance to continue inspiring people, inspiring the next generation of believers. But more importantly, he talks about the manner in which we do it. Don't, don't approach the next generation for any sort of selfish gain. Peter urges that the heart behind what you do is just as important as the actions that you do. Let's pray this morning. Father, we... Um, we ask that you speak to us. We, we welcome your spirit. We welcome your presence in this space. And Father, I pray that you speak through me in this moment, that whatever you have, whatever you have prepared in my heart to share, that whatever you want to be heard would be heard. And whatever is not from you would not be, would not be heard. God, I pray that your glory and only your glory shines through today. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and it's in your name we pray, amen. So, uh, first of all, can we, welcome to Inspire Church, everybody. Yeah, let's go. I'm excited. Uh, so, Peter, what Peter understood whenever he wrote this passage is, is that every single person has the responsibility. Every single person has the responsibility of raising up this next generation in faith. That's why it's such a big value of ours. We, we want to be a church that inspires to raise up the next generation in faith. And, and what we need to talk about is with inspiration also comes influence. Influence is just the the common thread that will come immediately with as we inspire people for Jesus. And the unspoken reality about influence is that it comes across to people on three simultaneous fronts. Three simultaneous fronts that Peter talks about. the, The three fronts are this. People will see what we do, and they will see how we do it, and then they will see why we do it. All three of them simultaneously are the communication of your influence. What you do, how you do it, and why you do it. That is your communication of inspiration. Your communication of your influence. We'll come back to this uh, at the end. But uh, I want to start off by uh, sharing with you guys 
uh, that Caitlin and I have been uh, watching a lot of Toy Story recently. Anybody? Anybody love Toy Story? Anybody? I love Toy Story. I love it so much. Uh, Caitlin and I have been watching a lot of Toy Story because, you know, toddler life. Our son is three, and he is loving movies now. I actually think we've watched. He's going to be Buzz Lightyear for Halloween. It's cute. It's adorable. He walks around the house. He's going, I'm Buzz Lightyear. And he wants me to go, no, I'm Buzz Lightyear. (laughs) Okay. I know where my movie people are back here. I appreciate you. Okay. Um, but, uh, but anyway, uh, I think I've actually got, you got a friend stuck in my head, uh, so much and I'm singing it in my sleep and my chest kind of hurts in the morning because my wife's slapping me because I'm keeping her awake at night. Um, but I, I love I love getting to watch these movies with my son because uh, there, some of you parents in the room, you guys will understand this. Like whenever you get to watch these movies that you grew up with and you watch them as an adult, you get to realize that there's some real deep concepts within these movies, like some real deep concepts within these movies. And what I've noticed about to- Toy Story is, is that every in every single movie, there's at least one character that has a big wrestle with their purpose, a big wrestle with their purpose in, in, in retrospect, then has a big impact on how they view their identity. The first movie we have Buzz, right? Buzz ha- wrestles with this, his identity in the sense, is he just a toy or is he a real life space ranger? In the second movie, we have Woody, who, who faces this tension. Is his purpose to be a, a toy in a museum because he's an iconic, valuable toy? Or is he meant to be a toy to be played with to make a child happy? And, and, and we, we see this all the time. And yesterday, yeah, literally yesterday, we were watching Toy Story 4. And uh, I wasn't planning on speaking about this till just yesterday. And uh, we were watching Toy Story 4, and I saw this same exact theme within this character named Forky. You guys all know Forky? Yeah, Forky. He's actually a spork, but, you know, we'll, we'll just go with Forky. Um, Forky was created out of pieces of trash. It, it, the, Bonnie, the, the maker, took these pieces of trash, put it together to create what is known as Forky. And, and as Forky would come together to become a toy, as he was born, he, he would come to not like where he's at. He, he would come to not realize what his true purpose is. Like Bonnie created him with the purpose to be a toy, right? But his whole purpose was to be trash. And, and so all he knew to do was to be trash. And, and so throughout the entire beginning of this movie, we have this, this wrestling match where, where, where uh, Forky just wants to be put in a trash can to be, and, he, and he does everything he can to make sure that he finds his way to be trash because his purpose was to be trash until we have the one who stands against him, Woody. Woody comes into the picture, and, and what Woody knows is because he followed Bonnie to ki- the first day of kindergarten where she makes Forky. What Woody knows is that Forky was instrumental for her. Because what Forky was wasn't just this, this craft that she made. It was this friend that she had in the loneliest time of her childhood. It was the friend that she had in the loneliest time of starting up kindergarten. And so what Woody was able to see, what Woody was able to see is that Forky was instrumental, instrumental in the joy of Bonnie. 
And so Woody takes it upon himself to help Forky understand his new given purpose. And throughout the movie, we see eventually Forky does come to accept his new reality as a toy. And he loves it, ends up loving it. But Woody stands out here as such an influential and inspirational character because of how he leads and how he uses his influence for the purpose of the satisfaction of his owner. You tracking with me here? Woody stands out as an influential character for how he uses his influence for the benefit of his owner. He saw Forky had potential. Forky has potential to bring joy to Bonnie. And so he connected him with this new purpose. And then he communicated to Forky how much he was valued as her toy. Woody helps shape the way for Forky to become one of Bonnie's favorite toys. Really, really what this is, is just classic mentorship. Just classic mentorship. And it's a mentorship model that we could point to happening a million different times throughout all of human history. It's a mentorship model that we can point to happening a million different times throughout Scripture. I mean, we can point to many different examples within Scripture uh, where we see mentorship happening. We could talk about Samuel and uh, Saul, Samuel and David. We could talk about David and Solomon, Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, Jesus and any 12 of his disciples. You take your pick. There's mentorship just passed down over and over and over again within the pages of Scripture. But today, I want us to focus on one particular relationship between mentor and mentee, and that's between Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul has a very interesting start to his story. Uh, for those of you who do not know, Paul started out as one of those people who was persecuting the church. To be one of those people who is actively seeking to destroy the church. And he has this miraculous encounter with God and, and, and Jesus reveals to him, hey, this is the truth, follow me. And Paul's like, alright, I'm all in. So he, he ends up getting connected with the disciples who help raise him up, right? They raise him up to become the, probably the most active missionary the world has ever seen. And so Paul, after he feels raised, he, he feels this burden, this call to go into all the land of the Greeks and, and to spread the word of Jesus as much as he can. And so he starts his very first, merc, uh, merc, very, his very first mission journey. There's the word, not mercenary. I don't know why that was coming to my brain. Um, he starts his very first missionary journey, and, and he and he <clears throat> goes up through Syria and ends up in this little town called Lystra, Turkey. Lystra. It wasn't Turkey at the time, but in Lystra, Lystra, which is modern day Turkey. And, and whenever he's there, he he connects with a few people. He he raises up a bunch of leaders in the church and plants a church there. Two of which happen to be women named Lois and Eunice. And Lois and Eunice had a very, uh, very special uh, spot in the establishment of God's kingdom because of who they would then later influence for the kingdom. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in a letter he wrote later. He said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. 
Paul, Paul goes to this, to this town of Lystra, plants this church, makes an impact in Eunice and Lois, and they in turn make an impact in Timothy. Timothy begins to follow Jesus and follow the, follow the way, is what it was called. And, and since Christianity didn't exist in Lystra until Paul, it's, it's just assumed that Paul had the immediate imp- had the direct impact on Lois and Eunice, which then had the impact for Timothy, right? And so because of Paul's handiwork, Timothy would end up becoming a follower of Jesus. Paul would go on to finish his, his first missionary journey comes back to Jerusalem and he's like, all right, let's, let's go again. He goes on his second journey and he goes up the same, same pathway. He goes up north, the Med- north of the Med- Mediterranean Sea through Syria up to Lystra again. And this time, whenever he comes into Lystra, he encounters Timothy. It says this in Acts. It says, Paul di- came to Derb and then to Lystra where, th- where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra in Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey so he could circumcise him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. It's thought that at this time, Timothy was around the age of 16 years old. 16 years old. And Paul shows up to this town. And it becomes evident that he's very impressed by Timothy. He becomes very impressed by Timothy, and it's not just him, right? Everyone spoke well of Timothy. And so everybody was impressed by Timothy. He was an impressive young man. And so Paul was able to look at Timothy, and he saw something in him. He saw potential in him. Potential. And through getting to know him and spending time with him, he begins to get him connected with the mission of Jesus Christ. So Paul invites him to come along and Timothy would join Paul for the remainder of his second missionary journey and then to the, into the start of his third where they would come to the city of Ephesus. At this time, it's estimated Paul and Timothy have spent about seven years together. After spending seven years together on the road, you become pretty close, right? Become pretty close. And, and so they come to the city of Ephesus and, uh, and this is what happens. It, Paul, they, they encounter, Paul and, uh, Paul and Timothy, they encounter so much opposition in Ephesus. The church that was there has become so corrupt with the, with the, with the orders that Paul had given them. And, and so, and so it, says, it says this in one of the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. It says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. He leaves him there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. And so Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus and says, Timothy, here's your mission. And his mission isn't necessarily a kingdom expansion one. It's a corrective one. It's a corrective mission. I need you to fix, fix what went wrong here. And the church in Ephesus, because they had corrupted so many things, and what's interesting to me is that Paul doesn't stick around to fix it himself. What he says is, Timothy, you can fix it. You stay here. You take charge. You fix this problem. 
And, and given, honestly, I want you to, want us to understand, given the nature of Timothy's situation at this point in time, and, and the assignment and the age he was, he was, like if he's about 23 at this time, if we're keeping track, and, and, the, and the assignment he's given is extremely difficult. It involves influencing some of the biggest inspirational, influential leaders within this community. And so Paul, Paul leaving this young, youngster from who knows where in the middle of Ephesus to influence these people, I mean, that's crazy. This is, this is almost equivalent to asking a fresh out of college student to become a district superintendent uh, or a bishop of an area that is probably the most controversial, religiously hostile environment. This is insane. This is, this is crazy. Paul, what are you thinking? And, and I can just imagine leaders within the church in Ephesus being like, you expect us to follow this kid? Are you serious? Paul, you got another thing coming. Th- this ain't going to happen. And, and so Paul would go on. He'd finish his third missionary journey and start his fourth in which he makes his way to Rome. And he's imprisoned. And Paul writes these letters to Timothy. He writes two of them. And within these letters, he says these words. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In the second letter, Paul would, Paul would say this to Timothy. He says, you then, my son, listen to the closeness of their relationship, how close they were. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. We, here we get so much encouragement from Paul. So, so much encouragement from Paul here for him to go like, yes, Timothy, you are young. Timothy, you are so young, but you are so fully capable of doing what it is that I'm asking you to do. You, I have spent time with you. I have seen you grow. I have seen you become the man that you are today. And I know what you are capable of. I know you are able, of corre- able to correct what needs correcting. Uh, Timothy, I know that you can influence them in the ways of Christ. Timothy, I know that you can inspire them the same way that Christ has inspired me and the way that I, in turn, have inspired you. Timothy, you can do this. Now let's back up, because let's track this whole process. Uh, we've, we've gone through so much. Let's track this process. First, Paul comes to Lystra, right? Paul comes to Lystra, and he sees potential in Timothy. He, he looks at Timothy, sees, hey, this is an impressive guy. Let's, 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 t- let's have him, let's, have, let's spend some time with him. And he spends some time with him getting to know him. And through getting to know him, they develop this relationship. And the first thing is that Timothy becomes known. Timothy is known. 
Next thing we see is that Paul then invites Timothy along to join and to find his God-given purpose, to join and learn about the ways of the apostles. He teaches him about doctrine, teaches him about God's plan to redeem this world. Paul connects him to a purpose. And so Timothy becomes connected. And then Paul releases him to the Ephesians. He releases him to the Ephesians and, and he tells him to cut off any sort of heretical teaching in the area. Meanwhile, writing him letters, First and Second Timothy, encouraging him in the value he has in the kingdom of God. Timothy is then valued. Known, connected, and valued. This is the process of mentorship. This is the, pro- this is the process of growth. To know them. To know their potential. To connect them to their purpose that is aligned with their potential and then to value them as they engage in the purpose that God has for them. For the, for the last couple of years, this has been the core of what our next ministry, next gen ministries are about. You can go on to the next slide, raising up the next generation. This has been at the core of everything that we are, that we're about. We want every single student, every single kid that comes into our church on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights to be known, connected, and valued. And and this is so much bigger than just them being seen. This is about their growth. This is about them being inspired, them being molded into being passionate followers of Jesus. This is the heart of our next-gen ministries. And we want to do everything we can to be successful in raising up the next generation in faith because we know that we need them in order for the church to survive. However, with that being said, I need to be real with you. I need to be real with you about strategy. Because the strategy and the way that we go about this is massively important. And I I need to be real with you about a strategy that we need to start implementing as a church. So I I was doing some research this past week and and I came across this chart. If you want to throw it up there. I came across this chart and I know it's a little blurry. This was the best picture I could find of it. I know, I'm sorry. Um, But... What this is, is a study that was done. And and the study comes from uh, where kids and students were observed in being educated by different individuals. The the individuals were their father, their mother, and a mother and a father from a different household. And, And through various tests, they were able to identify which teacher was the most influential in the, in the kid's life based on their age. And, and, and so this is, the, this is the breakdown of their results. And, and what I've done is I've taken this and I've applied it to each one of our ministry areas. So let's start with the kids. For, for our kids, I mean, it's no contest, right? The parents have an overwhelming amount of, of influence in their kid's life. Compared to anyone else, they, are, they have astonishingly, an astonishingly influential advantage of their kids, which makes sense. This makes sense. But what intrigues me and what I want to point out is the difference between fathers and mothers here. Now, they close the gap towards the end, but the difference between fathers and mothers here. And fathers, I need you to see this. Fathers, I need you to understand how much you are statistically the most influential person in your child's life. 
the most influential person in your child's life, especially in their early childhood. I need, I need every father to understand this because the role that you play in their formation is so crucial, so crucial. So please understand your influence and how important that is. It's not until we hit about middle school Whenever we begin to see mother and father, you can go on to the next one, middle school, where we see mother and father kind of on level playing ground. And, and, but what we also see right here is that at middle school, suddenly the influence of other people has started to rise a little bit. And then we get into high school and, and mother and mother seems to hit this peak and descends a little bit along with dad. But still, they have so much more influential advantage over other people. However, other people are starting to skyrocket quite a bit. It's not until we get, co- get to college whenever we begin to see everything intersect. And, and this makes sense, right? Because in college, this is, the, this is the age where we begin to see every single college student begin to deconstruct and reconstruct their faith. And they're suddenly working all these things out and they're really coming into who they are, coming into their own, right? And, and so this makes sense. The moment where everything intersects, the moment where they have to really figure out, are they going to rely on what mom and dad have been teaching them over the years or are they going to rely on what other people have said to them over time? I share this with you because I need us to understand this hard truth. That the most influential person in your child's life is you. The most influential person in your child's life is you. And, and, and the guys, the church, we can try as hard as we can to, to inspire children in the ways of Christ, and we can. We can show children Christ, we can lead children to Christ, we can have them make decisions to follow Jesus, and we will do that. But if, you're, if the parents are not following the will of Jesus and obeying his word and influencing their kids in the ways of Christ, then we aren't likely to succeed past this point in time. If parents are not investing in their kids in the way of Christ, we are not likely to succeed. Not to say there aren't miracle stories that have happened, exceptions to this. There are. But if parent, for the most part, if parents are not influencing their children in the ways of Christ, if parents are not spiritually influencing their kids, we will not be successful in raising up the next generation. And so parents, I want you to hear, hear this. Because the role you play is crucial. And what we want to do, what we want to do as a next gen ministry, as our next gen ministries, is we want to partner with you. We we don't want to just say, oh, it's your responsibility and go. No, we want to help you. We want to partner with you. We we want to help you. We want to help equip you to be the best parent, the best spiritual leaders for your kids that you possibly can be. And so that's something that we want to start working on. It's something we want to improve in. We want to help inspire you to, to inspire your kids for Christ. And parents, I want you to hear me out on this, okay? Because a lot of times I think we can just bring our kids to church and think, all right, this is the church's job. The church is going to take care of my kids. The church is going to raise up my kid in Christ. I don't have to do a thing. That's a huge weight off my shoulders. If that's your perspective in coming to church, I'm sorry to tell you that it's just not going to work. It won't work. You are the main influencer of your child's life. We need you to be. We need you to be. And and I also want you guys to understand this. If you want to raise up the next generation, 
If you want to raise up the next generation, then you need to let them know how they can make an impact for the kingdom today. Not just tomorrow, but today. How can they make an impact for the kingdom today? You look at their potential. You see how God has gifted them. You see how God has wired them together. And you get them connected to a purpose that is greater than themselves. And then you show them how much they are valued in the process of them accomplishing the things that, the, that God has called them to. Guys, if we continue to treat the next generation like they are the church of tomorrow, then they will never feel empowered to pursue God's given purpose for them whenever they eventually leave home. We lose all the influential years that we have to influence them in God's call for their life if we do not do it now. It's no longer we treat them like they're the generation of tomorrow. They are the generation, they are the church of today. And so secondly, before we move on from this, I do want to point this out. Some of you guys might serve in kids, okay? And I want to point this out. If I served in kids, and (laughs) I would look at this and I would feel discouraged. Because because I would think, you know what, my my influence, I guess, isn't really that impactful. Is me even being there, volunteering, is that even, is there a point to it? And there is. There's a massive point to it. And it's huge. It's crucial. What, what you guys need to understand is that this time, even though you don't have that much influence, you still have a little bit. And you have a little bit to show them and to invest in a relationship with them. Because what happens is, is whenever th- these kids hit this point in their life, they begin looking back to the people that have invested time in them. They begin looking back to the people who, who they remember being great followers of Jesus. Being some, of, being some of the people who really cared about them that were outside their parents because they're no longer looking to their parents. Instead, they will be now looking to you because of the investment you made all the way back here. The investment that you make today is crucial. It's huge. And we desperately need you to be investing in these kids. And so we, we, talk about, we talk about wanting to inspire these kids. And guys, we want, every single person is called to this. Every single person is called to raise up the next generation. Whether it's the generation behind you or three generations behind you. Everyone's called to raise up the next generation. And there's a few ways you could do this. You could volunteer with us. You could commit to inspiring them as group leaders. We, we would love to, I know Christy would love more group leaders. I'd love more group leaders. Aaron would love more group leaders. We, we would love more leaders investing in the lives of our kids. We, we would love your help and influence in that way. But if maybe you're not called to be a group leader, and that's okay. Some of, not all of us are called to youth ministry or kids ministry. Um, but maybe you have friends in your life. Maybe you have friends in your life group and they have kids. And you have this, maybe you have children and they have kids, your grandparents. And you have opportunities to invest in these kids as they grow. And you have the opportunity to develop relationships with them as they grow. One of my favorite things is that our son, Crew, he gets so excited whenever we're going to our life group, not just because he gets to hang out with his friends that are kids, but he gets to hang out with my friends who are the dads. That's one of my favorite things, is how much he loves just being a group, even for the other adult influences that are investing in my child's life. Maybe, maybe you're not the relational type. It's okay. 
I'm not huge on the relational type myself. But maybe you can help us out in other ways too. There are many things that we do to uh, many experiences that we offer our kids and our, and our students. Uh, one of the things we offer Canada Camp Out is, is great. I mean, we, we have this camp that meets here for our kids for a week in the summer. And, and we see tons of kids come to follow Jesus just because of this one week. Maybe you can sponsor a kid to go. Sponsor a kid that you're really wanting to see come to know Jesus and sponsor them to come to the event. Maybe you can help participate in our student auction that we have in March and where we help raise money for our students to go to CIY and many of these other life-transforming trips that we offer throughout the summer. That, that money is huge and it's instrumental for these students to be able to experience Jesus in a real way. Another one that I'll kind of throw in there that we're really asking for support on in the, and this one, um, this one's more coming up really soon is, uh, we are trying to raise money for our college students to go to Passion Conference, uh, this January. Uh, you might see a college student walking around today and they'll have a calendar like this. They'll be holding a piece of paper that has a calendar like this. And, and basically, this is a fundraiser we're doing. And, and if every student is able to accomplish this fundraiser, then they raise all the money they need to go on this life-changing experience at Passion Conference. And, and so basically, it's a pay the date. Some of you guys have seen this before, right? It's so simple. You pay for the day that you sign up for. So if you sign up for the first, you can pay $1. If you sign up for the ninth, you can pay $9. All the way to the 31st, paying $31. Just even that little investment can make a huge impact into these students' lives. And, and honestly, if I had to push this even harder, this is so crucial because college students are at that intersection point, right? This intersection point where they have to choose which way are they going to go. This is the point in time where we want the best influences, the best outside influences to be influencing them as much as possible. And so this investment in, your, in our college kids is huge. And they would really love your support on this. And so if you find a, if you find a college student today holding, holding one of those calendars, I encourage you, go up to them. Say, hey, I'd like to sponsor one of your days. Or you sponsor many other days, however you, whatever, you want, whatever you're willing to give. But this, this can impact a whole generation immensely. And, and guys, this is, this is our call. This is what we're called to do. Um, in, in the Olympics, uh, there's, there's a common tradition that happens in the Olympics that many of us have seen before, right? The, the passing of the torch. The, the way this works is that one person will start with a torch where they, where they get it lit up in Olympia, Greece. And then they run this torch in a relay race. In a relay where they go up to somebody else and they, they pass the flame on to somebody else. And then they go and they pass the flame on to somebody else. And then they go and then they pass the flame on, on to somebody else. Until eventually it arrives at the location where the uh, Olympic Games are being held and being hosted just in time for the opening ceremony. And what I love is the significance behind the lighting of the torch. Let me read this to you from what the Washington Post says about it. It says, Technically, the torch relay does not represent the passing of a torch, but celebrates the passing of the sacred flame from one torch to the next. The Olympic flame symbolizes the light of spirit, knowledge, and life. By passing the flame from one person to another in stages, the torch relay expresses the handing down of the symbolic fire from generation to generation. Now, this is really cool. Let me read to you what the John the Baptist says right before he baptizes Jesus. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He 
will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Guys, if you have made the decision to follow Jesus, if you have made the decision to claim him as Lord, and if you believe that he died and rose for your sins, you have been baptized with this Holy Spirit of fire. And don't you see what happens? You become lit. Your torch inside you becomes lit from this spirit that you have within you. And this spirit that you have is inheritable to the people around you. And you get to go and you get to take this torch and you get to light their torch. You get to go and light their torch. You get to go and light this next person's torch. This flame within you was not meant to be covered up and held to yourself so that you can reflect on it. But it is meant for you to share. For you to share with every single person that you possibly can. And this spirit that's within you, it's not just a meek one. It is a spirit of power. It is a power that gives you no fear. It is a power that enables you you to be able to reach the next generation. Guys, we the church are in the business of raising up people in their faith. We are, we are in the business of helping them take next steps in their journey with Jesus. Whether we be 90 years old or whether we be nine years old, we want to be the mentors. We want to be the encouragers. We want to be the coaches. We want to be the teachers. We want to be the people who do all that's needed in order to reach the people we can reach to experience the kingdom of heaven. We're going to be the people that hell looks at as a threat because we are so distinctly led by Jesus and his spirit to continue passing on the flame to other people that we can reach. Guys, it is time for us to inspire. It is time for us to inspire this next generation for Jesus. It is time for us to keep this movement going. Jesus does not want this to end with us, but continues in ever everlasting impact through us from generation to generation to generation. Come on, guys, let's celebrate that today. God has called you to be so much more than just sitting here and taking in this flame. But I will remind you, I'll remind you what Peter says at the very beginning. Can we throw that passage back up actually at the very beginning? I'm sorry, I didn't tell you this. Uh, Maybe, there we go. No, no, at the very, very beginning. Yeah. There we go. Peter says to the elders among you, be shepherds of God's flock, not because you must, but because you are willing. Not for selfish gain, but because you care about them. Remember, there are three things that come across as you pass this torch. What you do, the example you set, how you do it, your, your methods in doing it, your persona in doing it. And third, why you do it. We don't reach the next generation for selfish gain. We do it because, for the, because it's for the betterment of the kingdom. We do it because it's for the betterment of their lives. We do it because we care about the next generation. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we thank you so much for the ways in which you call us and, and all that you call us to. Father, I pray that as we go from this place that you would encourage us to, to be your hands and feet, to be the people who are investing in the next generation, who are excited to see them grow in faith and to learn more about you. Father, we love you and we thank you. Let's pray. Amen.